Thanks so much, Ross. I appreciate that. And thank you all for uh, for asking me to speak and to, and to be here. My name is Charlie. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Um, man, what a cool deal. I, I, that, that was a really nice introduction. Um, it was a nice conversation we had. And, uh, and it's a gift to be able to go and be with family who, um, you know, didn't like the, the person that I used to be, didn't like the person that I thought I was. Um, to be free of that is, uh, is just, I don't have words for it sometimes. You know, it just hits me like a ton of bricks. Anyway, I live up here in Vermont, Burlington, Vermont. Um, I got sober here. My home group here is a design for living. Uh, we meet Thursday nights. If you're ever in town, please come by 8 p.m. over at 21 Buell. Um, we read the big book, a Doctor's Opinion, through the first 164, the fourth edition. Uh, we just read that, you know, year round. Um, and and for me, I, I I've really become accustomed to that. I love that. I love I love the text. Um, it's changed my life in so many ways. And and really the current experience I'm having in that group is, is profound. Um, you know, we, we're a, a lively group. There's lots of young people of all different backgrounds. Um, it is a, a thriving fellowship in that room. People share about the solution uh, to alcoholism, the ex current experiences they're having within the 12 steps. And, uh, and I get fired up to be there. I get fired up just on Thursday afternoon, getting out of work and, doing the things I need to do to then go and be a service at this group. Um, you know, we went from, you know, having a few people show up every night to all of a sudden we've got young people getting and staying sober, working the 12 steps, sponsoring other people. We have cookies, coffee. Now we got more big books than we know what to do with. Uh, we keep trying to buy more and give them away. Um, it is just a profound new experience I'm having with Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, uh, and it's all due to, to the program of recovery. So um, I'm really grateful for that group. Um, a little bit about me. I, I grew up in Western Massachusetts, where Ross mentioned I was headed down to uh, to see family. I, I, I was born in Seattle, Washington, and then we moved to Northampton, Massachusetts when I was about seven years old, and I was pretty heartbroken. Um, nobody liked the Seattle Mariners. Nobody liked the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, I, I was that guy from Seattle. Nobody from Western Massachusetts really knew anybody from the Northwest, and that kind of became my identity when I think back and I was just uh, actually talking to my family about, about this. I still have this like small Joey Cora t-shirt that I used to wear all the time when I was seven, eight years old um, to school. And, you know, this, this, this Seattle Mariners shirt and, and no, kids didn't want to hear it. You know, they were, it was Patriots land, Red Sox land. Um, you know, that's to me the first, the first thing I can remember in my life where I felt separate from, from others, from other kids. Um, it was the sports, it was the new move, it was the new school. Um, so quickly I kind of went and found a group of kids who liked to laugh in class, act out. Um, you know, I didn't grow up with any kind of religious background or religious leanings. Neither of my parents practiced religion, at least as far as I was aware. Um, they had just kind of given up Catholicism and, and their Protestantism back when they were, you know, younger in the 60s and 70s. And um, I went to a lot of bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, uh, way more than church services. Um, but I definitely did not feel connected to a power there. Um, I just was fascinated by the, the Hebrew and, uh, and the community that people seem to have. I can remember that, you know, everyone knew each other. The food was really good. Uh, it was a fun time, but I still wasn't, you know, I wasn't part of that. I just wasn't raised Jewish. So I wasn't part of that group. And I always kind of, you know, I, 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 
I drifted as I got older toward community. Um, I didn't have a big family growing up. Like I mentioned, we weren't religious at all, but um, you know, I wanted to be around kids. I wanted to be around people. Um, and, and the first way I, I figured out how to do that was to just get attention, you know, and, and, and I was, I was, I heard this on a, a speaker one time say that he was, he was hitting the, the crack pipe of approval before he ever took a drink. That's me. I wanted approval from you. I wanted approval from other kids. I wanted the teachers to look at me. I wanted my parents to notice me. And uh, I had a younger brother. Um, we had very different childhood experiences growing up. Um, you know, I think we both felt very separate and a part of, you know, away from, from other kids. But um, by the time I was uh, 12 years old, I smoked weed and drank. Um, first time I drank, it was, you know, naturalized 40 ounce, ounce malt liquor. And uh, I just remember getting really wasted and running around and, and um, don't have many memories of it. The second time though, or the third time, something like that, we stole, stole some alcohol from uh, my family, my, my friend's family's cabinets. And um, that was when it clicked. Um, you know, this, this friend of mine, quote, friend of mine who I, you know, I had, I had wanted to fit in with, you know, the reason I was acting out and, 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 and getting into trouble anyway, was I just wanted to fit in and, and be cool and be, be accepted. Um, you know, the, the friend of mine, it was like all of a sudden, like we were just laughing and getting along in a way we never had before. Um, you know, instead of being the, being the older brother playing the video games, I was sitting watching someone else play video games. Like my world felt like it had, it had just solved itself in a way. Um, I woke up the next day and, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't go a week or even a few days for the next, however many years, uh, without thinking about alcohol. That was it. Um, until I came into the, the rooms this time and, and had a new experience. Um, and, and the experience I had was my parents divorced when I was 14 years old and, that didn't seem to bother me. It didn't phase me. Uh, I had my solution. It was to go and drink and get high with my friends after school, not do my homework um, and just laugh with them. And, um, you know, despite all the bad grades I got and the trouble we got into, you know, the laughter and the, the, the fellowship and the connection that I felt when I drank with them or, you know, it was something that I couldn't get anywhere else or I didn't feel I could get it anywhere else. Um, and there was no thought of the consequences, you know, to me, my, my world already at that age, 14, 15, you know, I had traded in one set of ideals for another. I had had an experience with alcohol that um, felt spiritual at times. Um, I felt like I was making conscious contact with other humans, other teenage kids. I felt free. Um, I, my views on authority changed rapidly. Um, I didn't want to listen to other people. And I thought I knew more than anybody. Um, and the fear I had growing up melted away every time I drank. So for me, it was, um, it solved everything. Um, I, when I used to look back on my teenage years, I mean, I thought I had a great time. Middle school was pretty fun. And, um, you know, puberty or the awkward years of whatever, like I, I felt that I just got through it because of a booze, like, you know, I thought about it all day at, at school. Um, I got a job dishwashing when I was 15 so that I could be around people who drank and partied and they could get me alcohol. Um, I wanted to make money to get a car so I could drive and go buy it in the, in the town over where they'd sell it to me. Um, I could get to the packy, you know, quick. He could run in and get it for me. Like everything just kind of centered around partying and, and being the center of, of, of the, of the kind of the, the center of the party, but really the center of 
how I was going to drink with other people. Like we were going to drink together. It was going to be this fun thing. Um, it became just kind of like the identity that I had um, with someone who drank. And um, along with that, though, um, you know, I had friends who who did drugs and drank and we got into trouble. Um, but pretty quickly on, um, you know, they were asking me to drink less. And uh, I wasn't the one asking them to drink less. They were asking me to drink less, you know, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be, you know, this drunk if you're going to drive your car. Um, you know, we're supposed to go hang out with these kids. Like, you know, you should drink less. Like last time you got a little bit out of hand. And, and in my view at that time, when I think back, like, you now I didn't see anything wrong with it. Um, but I deep down knew that I that it affected me differently than them. You know, I was always talking about it. I always wanted to go get more of it. Um, I wanted to drink before class. Um, I wanted to just always have it around, always have it on me in my car at home. Um, I love talking about it. Um, and so even when, you know, we'd be, we were growing up and I'd be with my friends, like I would always be thinking about where's that next, you know, 40 ounce going to come from, where's the next, you know, whatever Rubinoff vodka pint, where, how are we going to get it later? Like I'm thinking about Saturday and it's Monday afternoon. Um, and I'm, you know, falling asleep in my chemistry class and, you know, at that point, my parents, I think, you know, they wanted the best for me, but they kind of just, I don't know, they, they may have resigned or, or they were dealing with their own stuff and felt bad about um, the divorce. But I just kind of had free reign to kind of run around and get in a lot of trouble. And and, um, and I caused a lot of harm doing that. Um, I was relying on me, myself, the, the only, you know, thing in, in life that I'd relied on to that point, really. And alcohol, which I worshipped at a time, at that time, I, I really looked at it as like, you know, everything that mattered in the world came from that. And all the experiences I had, the firsts, you know, the first, whatever, kiss, first drive, first anything, first, it all happened because of a boost. Like it all happened because of, you know, my effort to go and get liquor to make things happen. And so the delusion that I fell under through those years was that I was running the show, I was in control, um, and that my reality was something that wasn't real. Like I lived in a delusion. Um, and I had friends who had, you know, suffered the consequences more than I, um, I decided I needed to get out of Western mass and go to the Pacific Northwest. Um, cause my dad was living out there at the time and I wanted to go to, to school out there. I, I saw friends of mine getting into all sorts of harder drugs than, than I was, you know, going to get into. And despite being completely out of control, abusing whatever came in front of me, uh, you know, alcohol was number one, always was. And so I felt I was really just going to crash and burn. So I, I, I tried to use my, my first big geographic cure and, and went out there and, you know, to, to basically no one's surprise. Um, I, I just was, I drank every day, all day. I became my, my, the progression of my alcoholism, um, became so strong that, you know, I was getting arrested and, and making a fool of myself and really harming others and just sticking out like a sore thumb on this very small kind of hippie Northwest campus up in, up in Olympia, Washington. Um, so much so that the Thurston County courts and the school said, you need to go to outpatient if you want to stay and you got to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I did. Uh, I felt at that point at 18, I was pretty much done. I, I, I knew that, you know, this thing that I thought was my life really was hurting me and hurting other people around me. Um, and so I went to Alcoholics Anonymous and, and I remember I did get a sponsor. Um, but the things that stuck out to me the most at the time was just how, you know, how much older everyone seemed and how many more consequences they'd face because of their alcoholism. Um, I remember getting in the car with a guy 
you know, he gets, he puts me in his big F three fifty, and we're driving away and it's like a brand new truck. And I'm like, damn, you know, this guy's an alcoholic, but he has, you know, all, all this money and, and he's driving away and we're both talking to each other. We both have probably 30 days, 40 days. And he's saying, did you hear that guy in there? He said, he never blacks out when he drinks. Um, and, he, and he's looking at me. He's like, I, I could never stop once I started. So am I not an alcoholic? And I said, yeah, I don't know. You have a nice truck. Like, you know, you probably aren't. And he's like, well, you know, I keep driving and, and blacking out and picking my kids up. You know, I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I need to figure this out. And I was like, yeah, you, you probably do. But we both kind of agree that like, you know, what we were hearing in these meetings didn't really apply to us. Like we, you know, I, I, whether I heard good qualification about what it means to be an alcoholic or not, um, I was not resigned to this idea that I was lacking choice in, in the matter of, of drinking. I still thought that even if I start and I can't control it, like I will choose when I'm going to stop. I will choose when I'm going to start again. Um, and I felt that I, I lacked power in one part of it, but I, I had power in these other parts and I had a sponsor and, and we got up and I had reservations. I, I couldn't honestly, um, turn my life over to the care of God. I, I couldn't honestly see that I related to the people in, in the rooms. Um, you know, no matter how many Alano club meetings I went to, or, um, how many late night meetings I went to, I mean, it was great. There was a 24 hour coffee shop in town and, and we would stay up and talk and smoke cigarettes. And, um, you know, I just heard a lot of stuff that I just couldn't grasp onto. Um, and I didn't, I don't, I don't recall really ever going to a big book meeting. I remember I went to one men's meeting and they kind of siphoned off people to the side who had like 50 plus years. And I wondered why I couldn't go talk to the guys with 50 or 60 years. You know, they were in this other meeting that's that was going on at the same time, this huge other men's meeting. And why can't I go talk to the guys who seem to, you know, have it figured out. Um, so like the book says, like Fred's story, exactly like Fred's story. Um, all of a sudden the, there was a cloudy day. It was my birthday, uh, that summer and, um, not a cloud on the horizon. It's a sunny day. Sorry. I might've said cloudy day. It was this beautiful sunny day. And, um, the thought crossed my mind that I'm going to drink this steel reserve 211, uh, 40 ounce at 10 in the morning. Um, and, uh, you know, my life hadn't grown spiritually whatsoever. And, uh, the thought crossed my mind. And, um, from then on, uh, for another seven years, um, I could not put more than a few days together at a time. And, uh, it was hell to be totally honest. I won't go into the full details of it. Um, but it basically consisted of me, um, doing what it talks about a great passage that I always forget about right into action in the early parts, right. When it's talking about step five, um, it talks about the actor and the demoralization coming from the drinking and the black and waking up and wondering, you know, who saw me do this, who saw that. Um, and, and really trying to put my life together externally, patch it together in a way that looked good, you know, get through college, you know, you're going to have a car, you'll get through that, try to keep relationships, try to have friendships, um, and just hide it from everybody. And I, I was dying inside those years. I tried therapy, uh, sat there with a counselor when I was in school and, he really wanted to work with me. He picked me out of the rest of all the kids to work with the one guy he could work with for the rest of the semester for free. And we went at it. We went at my, my depression and my anxiety and well, it's cause you know, you're drinking so much that this is going to happen. You know, you're going to stay depressed and anxious. You got to drink less. He even had a PhD guy come in and also sit in some of the sessions. And we, we went at it. We looked at my, my stuff from, you know, up and down every side of it. Um, I did not have the power to stop. I, I did not have the power to stop. And the delusion I was living in was that one day I would just wake up and have that power. 
um, I was obsessed with beating the game. It, it became um, a complete nightmare. Uh, and I went through various stages of trying to control it. At one point, I bought a bunch of yeast because I read the founder of Sam Adams um, could drink a lot at these events and beer fests because he would eat yeast and it would absorb the alcohol and he would just... So, I, I, you know, I saw because I knew deep down that I couldn't control this thing. Um, but I really had this still delusional, this delusional thought that I was going to choose when, when, when not to do it. Um, and there was a moment there. I did get a, a DUI from, from the, the progression of this thing. And I went on a trip to Europe. I had this trip lined up. I had a scholarship for it. I had worked hard to get good grades at this different school and they were going to get me over to Europe and I was going to go on this trip. And I, I end up just really wrecking myself um, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Um, and I get over there. And I'll never forget it. I went to uh, St. Peter's Basilica. I'd never been in a place like that before in my life. And I didn't know what it was. I just thought it was going to be kind of this beautiful place. Like, you know, there's going to be a painting or two. Um, and I walked in and I immediately felt the presence of something greater than me immediately. Um, but without having any tools to tap into that power, I remember going to this side room. Um, I think it was the, the Church of the Holy Sacrament, something like that. This beautiful, ornate, just powerful room. Um, and I got quiet. And I was sober and it was, um, you know, it was, it was one of the only times I was able to really do something like this. And all I could do was, was sob. I just started crying. Um, I didn't know why, but all that I could do was just feel just complete and utter defeat. Um, and, you know, that feeling didn't last. Uh, I went back to my old ways and, uh, and I'm, I had to just, I had to move again. I had to change relationships. I had to, I had to lose the car. I had to lose the license. I had to move and, and try different things out with the, with the drinking. And what happened was I moved to, to Vermont to live with my brother. I moved into his, um, downstairs basement apartment. Uh, he was in college. I moved into this, onto this futon in this basement with silverfish and spiders and with a suitcase, you know, my delusion was that I was killing it at life. I was crushing it. I was, I was going to, I was going to beat this thing. I was back in new England. You know, it was the climate. It was the gray skies. It was the, it was whatever the old relationships, the old haunts, um, just the awful places that I would go to drink. You know, I was away from that. I'd, I'd figure this thing out. And, um, and, and alcohol really brought me to my knees. And, and I'm grateful for that because it gave me a very powerful step one experience where I had nowhere else to go. Um, and, and what happened was I, I don't have a story of fireworks and, and anything crazy. I mean, it did happen on the 4th of July. That was the last time I drank and I, I got sober July 5th and I haven't had a drink since then. Um, thank, thanks to my higher power, God. Um, what happened was I, I humiliated um, someone who loved me. I, I was that, that person again, that out of control, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde character who took things beyond, uh, you know, comprehension. People, people, people couldn't understand why, why I became the person I did when I drank. I couldn't understand it. I, they would ask me why I did it again. I would look them in the eyes and I wouldn't have a single good answer. Um, and I tried going to a meetings here and there over the years. And I went to one and I had a moment of clarity. Um, another window of opportunity that happened to me. I went to a meeting where there were four or five people that Friday night um, after going to work and suffering through work. And um, I went to this meeting and I left and I tried to go to another meeting and it wasn't happening. It was 10 p.m. I was standing downtown right there in, in Burlington, uh, the strip of bars, 100 feet away, 
the the center where I try to go to the meeting right in front of me and then the the little deli with the malt liquor and the and the cheap stuff that I love to drink right there right there next to me um and I felt this powerful intuition that said you just walk home and I lived like an hour or some walk away and I had never thought that in my life before just walk home um I believe it was again some of the first true guidance I I've received in this life and uh, I followed it um, I went to a detox the next day to, to sit at a meeting in case I needed it. Uh, I needed to go to the, the, the center and, um, thank God I did not have to this time. Um, I've had experiences with trying to quit on my own that have led me to, to places where I needed medical attention. But, um, but this time God had a different plan for me, I guess. I, uh, I remember going to a meeting the next day and, um, I thought I just need to make it a week. If I could just make it a week. You know, I know what to do. I know what to say. If I go to these meetings, I just need to make it a week. Um, we read the nine step promises at this meeting, and I never heard them before. Despite all the meetings I'd gone to, we read the big book um, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I heard the nine step promises. And uh, they asked at the end, do any newcomers have any questions? Please see somebody after. And I sh pretty much shaking, just raised my hand and said, I please, is there somebody here who can show me how to get this? Um, and I asked for it. And a guy who was celebrating one year sober that day um, came over to me and shook my hand and gave me his phone number and uh, told me which means to go to, helped me get to a meeting where I was uh, led to to ask another guy to, to be a sponsor of mine. Um, and he had a guy who sponsored me instead. And uh, to me, like, this is another way God was working in my life. The person I wanted to sponsor me, I, you know, he has 10 years, he goes to lots of meetings, you know, I'm going to ask him to sponsor me and it's going to be perfect. I'm going to have this perfect sobriety, or at least I'll stay sober long enough to get everybody off my back. And he had a guy with a year sponsor me. Um, and the power of the steps, were, it was so profound because we did not go through it perfectly. We did not do it. Um, we did not use worksheets. We did not go through it perfectly. Um, but when I would go to meet up with him, and we would pray, we would say the set aside prayer. He had me write the circle and the triangle in the beginning of the book and, and broke down exactly where the steps are in the book, exactly how we were going to go through this work. And he just asked, you need to carry this to other people. Um, you know, once, once you get it. And, uh, and I would feel the presence of something in the room with him. And, and I would get that sense when I was sitting with him. Um, and I wouldn't always get in meetings. You know, I would, I would sometimes get in meetings, but I wouldn't always feel that way. Um, and when I sat down with him, though, it felt like we were reading stuff that just it blew my mind. Like there is nothing in the world that makes more sense to me and made more sense to me and still does than the idea of the phenomenon of craving and, and, and what they might call an allergy or not. The phenomenon of craving, nothing in my life has described what happens when I drink more than Dr. Silkworth's opinion. I mean, the power of those words, I you know, and that's why today as I sponsor people, I, um, I, I try not to spin it because my experience was that it made too much sense for me to ignore. Um, I was hopeless. And he, the, my sponsor at the time, just laid out the second piece of this as we worked through the steps that you weren't choosing, dude, like you were not choosing. Um, you lost that choice a long time ago. And we looked at it and the, I, we looked at the examples in my, in my life where, you know, whether it was that day where the sun was shining and there wasn't a cloud on the horizon, um, 
or they were the times when I swore I was never going to do it again. I'm not going to do this again. I, there's no way I'm going to drink again. I cannot lose the girl or the friend. Like, and I would find myself there at the Safeway, you know, with the bottle, whether I was going to pay for it or not, put it in my pants, whatever. Um, like the choice had been gone for a very long time. And I was living under the delusion that I had choice. And he explained that he had come to the realization that what he lacked in, in this was, was power, um, was the power, not just the power to control, not just the power to choose, but the power essentially to just live, um, the power to live sober. And, uh, and so the experience I had through the steps were profound. Um, doing the third step prayer with him was, was like opening a door to the possibility that, you know, there's someone, there's something or someone here with us, you know, all the time. Um, there's something always here. And, and despite that, left to my own devices, left to self, I go and do the most insane thing over and over again. And I used to think the most insane thing I did was, you know, the thing I, you know, this one thing I did when I was 17 at this party or, or the time I said this to that person, or I, you know, hurt this person. Like those were really insane things I did when I was drunk. No, no. The most insane thing I did was drink, take that first drink, take this first sip. Um, and when I started to see that, like that, that I really lacked complete power in this and, and, and not only that, but but that I wasn't going to somehow come up with this power myself. I wasn't somehow going to wake up one day or think hard enough about my alcoholism that I would then, con you know, control it. And, and I'm very grateful for him because like I said, with the, it was not a perfect process. Um, but the power of the steps was that even though there were the words there, it was the actions that we took. It was the actions that we took around the steps. It was the actions we took in between the steps within the words, within the text it was the actions we took together um, I had nowhere else to go. I had no, no other outs. I, I conceded to my, to my innermost self that there's nothing in this world, in this material world, really, that's going to fix this thing. Um, I have to be open-minded and I, I'm grateful, I guess, because about the fact that I didn't grow up with religion, I didn't come here with a, with a bit of prejudice. I, I came here as an agnostic who just didn't know. And I had been seeking for a long time. Um, I think I've been seeking a really a really in a really really dark and, and and deep way um you know i saw more in alcohol and i i see more i see more in the steps um it's why I, my my home group we read the big book it's why i i sponsor as many um people as i possibly can it's why i try to get deep into this stuff because there's just more there was always more in my delusional thinking in alcohol um, I was always seeking out some kind of experience that would change the way that I felt that would change me. Um, and I was always digging, digging, digging. Um, and I've been able to transfer that, I won't call it enthusiasm, um, mad dog nature, whatever you want to call it, into, um, into this program, into the, the program of recovery as it's outlined. And uh, he had me writing that inventory and, and identifying all the things that were blocking me. Um, from the power that was right there inside me with with him in that room at that moment. Um, we went rapidly through that. Um, there was no time to, to waste. We, we made haste and got right through um, the inventory. And, you know, I, I felt 
that all I, you know, I really felt that I wanted to just tell him of all my problems and write down all these things about my life. Um, but he helped me to see that the first thing written in step four is to admit to God, you know, to, and then to ourselves and then to, to him sitting there as a witness to what I was expressing outwardly through my voice to God. Um, and then to, to do that and to sit there, the fifth step promises started to happen for me. Um, and I, I sometimes w- would kind of get lost in this idea that, you know, well, you know, is the obsession gone? Is it not like, am I going to have this white light experience? Is it going to be like the acid trip? I remember thinking this, in, you know, in the first few months there. Um, and he would always direct me back to like, no, like, look, like, is this happening for you? You know, are you feeling like you can look the world in the eyes? Do you feel like you are sitting here with your creator right now? Like, do you feel you can go to meetings and you feel a part of this, the meetings in a way you hadn't before? Um, and he helped me to see that the selfishness and, and self-centeredness, the, the real root of the problem here was that that was where I was putting my power. I was putting my power in self and it was leading me to ruin over and over and over again. Um, whether it was my relationships, my finances, just my overall emotional state, I was just always led to ruin with the things that blocked me from God, the, the forms of self that manifested in so many different ways. Um, and he helped me identify all of those to look at the fears and, and especially to look at the harms caused around sex and, and relationships. And um, that was uh, that was something I, I you know, I heard stuff. We're going to, oh, you know, I'm going to write the write the old sex book. I'm going to write all this stuff down. I'm going to, you know, write hundreds of pages of inventory. And it just that was not my experience. Um, what was currently my experience at the time? I got that on paper and we got together and I read it to him. Um, and we moved on to, to getting into, to me, one of the most powerful pieces of the program at, at, at that time. And, and I'm currently having experience with these steps as well today, making amends and, and righting the wrongs in my life. To, and God has guided me to, the, to these, continues to guide me toward amends. Um, I just remember thinking, you know, there's just so many people I need to go and apologize to. And my ego is still convinced that I, I knew how to make these amends right. And, and he guided me toward the truth. Um, you know, some people are going to be harmed if you contact them. Some of them are going to be, you know, they're not going to be happy to hear from you. Um, and I had to look at those and I had to go and make amends. The ones I didn't want to make that I, that I needed to, I went and, I went and did those. I looked people in the eye and I, I did my best to, to clean up that side of the street. Um, and the obsession to drink lifted. I stopped thinking about drinking along that route, um, but it wasn't a perfect ride by any means. Um, you know, I built a relationship with God at that time, um, but there are good relationships. There are bad relationships. There are one-sided relationships. There's still relationships technically. Um, and my relationship with God at the time was very one-sided. I mean, I, I felt that my prayers needed to be answered. Um, I, and if they weren't, I just needed to pray more. Um, not anyone's fault. I just, I was not guided at that time into deep inventory, uh, to really look at how I'm meditating and, and contemplating and taking the actions and the disciplines in the morning and the night. Um, and there was a lot of talk where I am and in the, in the rooms about, you know, waiting to sponsor till, you know, you have a year. And I remember getting to that point where I, the obsession to drink had lifted. I was doing tons of service. i had had a home group um, and a service position in a home group, the, the entire time I'd been sober, that was another area where I started to practice the principles of action, uh, and act in ways that I was not capable of doing on my own. Um, I started to feel God working through me, not just in prayer, but when I would go to those meetings and help set up and talk to people and look them in the eye and be the greeter. Um, 
but I hit a place of, um, you know, a semi despair at about a year. Um, something was missing. Something was missing. Um, and some people shared, oh, you know, it's, you know, you're, you're feeling squirrely, you know, it's a, at a year, you know, that's just normal. And, um, you know, I remember at a year when I received a medallion for it, it was like, okay, everybody with a, you know, a year or more who sponsors raise your hand. It was like this moment where I got to raise my hand. And, um, now looking back, um, I see the hole. I mean, it was there clear as day. Um, I was doing everything in my life and I lived on a lot of grace, um, by not actively sponsoring, uh, other men or other people in the rooms. Um, and when I think about that, it, it is, it is emotional to think about that God gave me that much grace to work the steps, not drink, protect me from that. Um, without me really having to get onto that firing line of sitting down with an alcoholic and sharing my experience. Uh, and my life completely changed once I started doing that. And, and that, that's another reason why I got very into the, the, the group, you know, it's, we're one of a few big book meetings here, you know, there's a few of us, but, um, where we, where we read the text and we talk about the solution and, um, you know, the experience I've had has just been an incredible ride since then. Um, getting into the history of, of what it was like back then. I, I'm, I love reading about history and the archives and stuff. And I, I just, I'm just fascinated by the Oxford group and, and the way things started and, and, and what those guys and, and men and women um, got by and lived on and, and the, and the, and the bread of life that they, that they ate and the way that they connected to God Um the early morning times, uh, the quiet time that I think Ann Smith was so, so adamant about and so powerful in, in, in making sure happened. I mean, my life is, I mean, every, every, when I, when I look back at a year and I, I remember being like, okay, now what, you know, this must get better. I had no idea how much better it would get. Um, sponsoring other men and being and being free of the bondage of self for not just minutes or hours, but days at a time. Um, it's just, it's just an unreal experience. It is something that, and, and it has exponentially grown on itself. And the more that I get, the more that I receive from God, the more that I want to seek out ways to continue to stay connected so that I can continue to transmit God's power to other people. Um, and in turn, I receive more. Um, and so the current experience I'm having has just been a very powerful one with, with the group where it's at now, um, you know, reading, I, I've, I've read lots of stuff. I read lots of grapevine books. I re read the history books and I, I just try to absorb, but at the end of the day, it's the actions. It's, it's the, it's the disciplines of 10 and 11 that have really changed my life. Um, when I worked, worked with a new sponsor and he got me really, he, he really asked me one day, this was a little over a year, you know, where, what does your inventory look like on this? Cause I called him with just, just crap, you know, just, just all sorts of self and, and, and worldly clamor. I love that term. And, um, so I wrote some uh, at the time and I wrote it for him and, um, he was just, you know, not appalled, but in a very loving way, just said, that's none of that makes any sense. And he guided me to, to write in a way that cleared me off from being disconnected from God. Um, and, and that changed my life and it changed the relationships and the, and the experience I was having at that time dramatically changed. Um, my experience with 11 and 
the things I do at the night and the morning and the meditation and the contemplation and the, and the, and the visions that are there for us to, to grasp and to, to use and to experiment with and to live and breathe. Like they have absolutely altered the reality that, that I couldn't get from all the alcohol in the world. Um, I couldn't get it from that. I just couldn't, I tried, I tried and, and there was nothing left for me after a while, but with this stuff, there's a power in my life that, that has just continued to guide me throughout uh, everything I do. And, uh, and so the, the, the past few years have just, they've opened my mind in a lot of, I mean, you know, in ways I couldn't even imagine. And, and, you know, there's things I've discovered in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, that have helped me, whether it be something like therapy or Buddhism, um, things outside the realm of my own selfish thinking. Um, God has brought those things into my life as tools that are there for me if I need to use them or if I seek them out. Um, I have a beautiful relationship with someone right now who uh, works the 12 steps, is, is in the program. And um, it is shocking to be, to be in, in a relationship with someone where, you know, God does come first. Um, it's a shocking way. It's shocking because I, I, I could not have conceived of this. Um, even once the obsession to drink lifted, um, my life just still felt so small. It still felt so, um, unimportant still felt. So I still felt useless at times. Um, those bedevilments that it talks about, they haven't been bothering me recently, but certainly early on before I was, um, fully immersed in, in, in the, in these 12 steps daily, you know, there were, there were days where, you know, I did not feel useful. I did not feel connected to, to other people. I did not feel that, that I had something to offer. And now, you know, and I try to share this with people I sponsor, the, the, me the amount of, the, the measure of, of okayness and serenity in my life, I can, I can directly measure um, by how much I want to go and give this thing away. Um, you know, the, the smaller my world feels, the less I want to do, the less I want to be a service, less I want to do, less I want to sponsor, the less, you know, it's a, it's directly related to my spiritual condition being off the beam. Um, and when I'm, when I'm on that beam, you know, I, <laughs> so in a lot of self-seeking ways, I, I, tr I don't want to be too much for people. Um, you know, how am I going to relate to the guys new if I'm just blah, 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 you know, I'm just on, on fire with this stuff. But you know what? I've let go of that because when I came in this time, I needed to see that people were okay and they were happy. Um, and I know today that if I feel like my house is in order, I've got a clean side of the street, I'm doing the disciplines in a way where I'm not overloading myself, I'm connected to that power, I'm tapped into it, and I'm making conscious contact by listening, listening, listening and obeying, 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 and going out and trying to be a service to my fellow human. Like there's, there's just nothing but love left. There's nothing but love to want to connect and to give this to somebody, because I know exactly how that person felt. Um, and I know exactly what it feels like to not have that hope. Um, and to be able to touch that experience of like, wow, you know, the powerlessness that engulfed my life can come back you know it, it can come back if i'm not doing this thing it can come back if i'm if i'm if i'm just completely you know thrown to the wind um 
I've heard before, it's a, I can't remember where, but the great trap is like the things that I get will lead me away. The external material things, the, the, the worldly possessions, the, the beautiful gifts that other people can see with their eyes, the tangible things that AA will give me can lead me away. Um, and that is a trap that I, I try to actively not fall into. Um, you know, my life today, my perception has changed. I've been rocketed into a fourth dimension um, where I can breathe and sit and be calm and at peace. And I don't think about how the car I have is the same car I had four years ago when I came in, same kind of beater car. I don't, I don't weigh, you know, my housing situation, my financial situation against others. I don't compete with other people at my, in my workplace. Uh, I'm not going out like a tornado, just, you know, spinning around harming people in my life. Um, I'm able to sit with God and, and try to align my will um, with whatever God's will is for me that, that day. Um, one of the greatest things I've ever heard, or excuse me, I read was in Chuck C's new pair of glasses. He, he finds this, um, plaque and, uh, and it's somewhere in the end, toward the end of the book, he finds this plaque or he talks to a guy who has this plaque and it says, um, if you are not as close to God as you once were, or as you would like to be, make no mistake, you are the one that moved. And that has been the absolute truth of this program and my life, um, living in the 12 steps, um, and the other two sides of the triangle with the, in the fellowship and, and of service. But, you know, I've, I've, I've felt God, you know, doing service. I've felt God in rooms of other people, but I know God through the steps. And, um, when I don't feel that power, like I know today that I am the one that's moved, you know, despite, despite God being there with me, no matter what, despite having experienced them in various forms of prayer and meditation, seeing people's eyes light up when they get this thing and they stay sober and they feel the power in their life. Like I know it's there. Um, and I know it's, it's always going to be there. And for that, um, I'm eternally grateful. So thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share my experience with you all. Awesome. Thank you. 